0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Love, Hope, Radio. Away, away from the noise. Alone with you. way away to hear your voice okay. and meet with you, About, uh, now wait, you should have nothing what you need to do. It's been a while, but here
0: You're on the air with Patricia Adams Live, and today we are doing something just a little bit different um, for you, and we're going to take just a short time, and we want to talk about faith. So I want to welcome all of you to today's broadcast, those of you who are going to be joining us in the chat room and those who will be coming back later to listen to the show in the archives. want to thank you very much for uh, taking the time out to spend it with us today. Patricia Adams live I want to talk a little bit about faith and while we are out here I am so grateful to God for the things that he has been doing in my life and in the life of others that I know um, who have been going through things God has proven himself to be faithful and so I just wanted to kind of drop this out here for you guys today because so many people are going through so many things and dealing with so many different issues that I just couldn't not do today's broadcast and I wanted to do this with you in mind because God is faithful. And Hebrews twelve and two says that we are to look unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. So everything that happens in our lives, God has a way of getting the glory out of it if we would only allow him to do that. But in order for him to get the glory, that means that our flesh has to be removed from the picture. And sometimes the greatest victories that we find are when we come to the end of ourselves. And just in talking to God about some things, um, you know, people always say, well, there are two rooms that we uh, we never enter and one being the womb and the other room being the grave. And so if we if we personally don't enter the womb and we personally don't enter the grave, we're placed in the womb and we're placed in the grave. So neither of those two rooms are rooms that we actually walk in. But after we come out of the womb, we are exiting the womb. And when we go into the grave, we then exit the grave and go into heaven. So those In the meantime, what are we doing in the meantime? Because we are in the process of exiting out of this life. We're living the life that God has given us, but we are in the process of exiting out this life. So when um, we think about Corinthians, it says that to be um, absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, right now we are present in the body and we are absent from the Lord. And so while we're here, God has given us the opportunity to show forth his glory. And so we know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Sometimes we suffer, sometimes we reign. But in the midst of it all, God is still the author and the finisher of it all. So I want to share something with you uh, by A.W. Choser, something that I found years ago, but I believe it's uh, a portion of um, his talk about faith. And this particular one is about the gaze of the soul. And this basically says that we are to think of um, our intelligent, plain man mentioned in Chapter 6 coming for the first time to the reading of the Scriptures. He approaches the Bible without any previous knowledge of what it contains. He's wholly without prejudice. He has nothing to prove and nothing to defend. Uh, Such a man will not have read long until his mind begins to observe certain truths standing out from the page. They are the spiritual principles behind the record of God's dealings with men and woven into the writings of holy men as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. As he reads on, he might want to number these truths as they become clear to him and make a brief summary under each number. Those summaries will be the tenets of his biblical creed, Further reading will not affect these points except to enlarge and strengthen them. Our man is finding out what the Bible actually teaches. High up on the list of things which the Bible teaches will be the doctrine of faith. The place of weighty importance which the Bible gives to faith will be too plain for him to miss. He will very likely conclude faith is all important in the life of the soul. Without faith... It is impossible to please God. Faith will get me anything, take me anywhere in the kingdom of God, but without faith, there can be no approach to God, no forgiveness, no deliverance, no salvation, no communion, no spiritual light at all. By the time our friend has reached the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the eloquent encomium which is there pronounced upon faith, will not seem strange to him. He will have read Paul's powerful defense of faith in his Roman and Galatian epistles. Later, if he goes on to study church history, he will understand the amazing power in the teachings of the Reformers as they show the central place of faith in the Christian religion. Now, if faith is so vitally important, if it is an indispensable must in our pursuit of God, It is perfectly natural that we should be deeply concerned over whether or not we possess this most precious gift. And our minds being what they are, it is inevitable that sooner or later we should get around to inquiring after the nature of faith. So what is faith? Would lie close to the question, do I have faith? And would demand an answer as if it were anywhere to be found. So what is faith? Almost all who preach or write on the subject of faith have much the same things to say concerning it. They tell us it's believing a promise, that it's taking God at his word, that it's reckoning the Bible to be true and stepping out upon it. The rest of the book or sermon is usually taken up with stories of persons who have had their prayers answered as, well as a result of their faith. These answers are mostly direct gifts of a practical and temporal nature, such as health, money, physical protection, or success in business. Or if the teacher is of a philosophic turn of mind, he may take another course and lose us in a welter of metaphysics or snow us under with psychological jargon as he defines and redefines, pairing the slender hair face thinner and thinner till it disappears in gossamer shavings at last. When he's finished, we get up disappointed and go out by that same door wherein we went. Surely there must be something better than this. In the scriptures, there is practically no effort made to define faith outside of a brief 14-word definition in Hebrews 11 and 1. I know of no biblical definition, Tozer says, and even their faith is defined functionally, not philosophically, that is it's a statement of what faith is in operation, not what it is in essence. It assumes the presence of faith and shows what it results in rather than what it is. We will be wise to go just that far and attempt to go no further. We're told from whence it comes and by what means. Faith is a gift of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This much is clear, and to paraphrase Thomas Akempis, i had rather exercise faith than know the definition thereof. Thomas Akempis says that he would rather exercise his faith than know the definition of faith. So from here on, when the word faith is or their equivalent occur in this chapter, Tozer asks the question that we must understand to refer to what faith is in operation as exercised by a believing man. Right here, we drop the notion of definition and think about faith. As it may be experienced in action, the complexion of our thoughts will be practical, not theoretical. In a dramatic story in the book of Numbers, faith is seen in action. Israel became discouraged and spoke against God, and the Lord sent fiery servants on them. And they bit the people, and much of Israel died. Then Moses sought the Lord for them and heard his cry and gave them a remedy against the bite of the serpents. He commanded Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole In the sight of all people and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. Moses obeyed and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass that he lived. And that's in Numbers 21 verses 4 through 9. But in the New Testament this important bit of history is interpreted Forced by no less an authority than our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He is explaining to His hearers how they may be saved. He tells them that it is believing then to make it clear, he refers to this incident in the book of Numbers. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. So from the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, Moses is lifting up a staff with a serpent, a brass serpent on it. So those men or women or children who have been, Bitten by the snake The serpent in the Old Testament When they looked on the brass serpent They were able to live And Jesus says now I am That one that is being Lifted up and I am being Lifted up and if you will look on Me even though you have Been bitten by the sin The serpent of sin You will live so now John three fourteen and 15 Says that he has Been lifted up So that we would believe in him And not perish but have eternal life So our plain man in reading this Would make an important discovery He would notice that look and believe Were synonymous terms Looking on the Old Testament serpent Is identical with believing On the New Testament Christ So looking in the Old Testament Is the same as believing In the New Testament So we're looking At Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would understand that while Israel looked with their external eyes, believing is done with the heart. So looking in the Old Testament was done with the eyes, but today we look through not um, external eyes, but we believe, we see with the heart. So we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ So that we may be saved And we live So I think he would conclude that faith is the gaze Of a soul upon a saving God So When he had seen this, he would remember passages he had read before, and their meaning would come flooding over him. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. In Psalms 34 and 5, Unto thee I lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. And as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. And that's Psalms 123, 1 through 2. Here the man seeking mercy looks straight at the God of mercy and never takes his eyes away from him till mercy is granted. And our Lord himself looks always at God. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the bread to his disciples in Matthew 14 and 19. Now, in, Jesus taught that he wrought his works by always keeping his inward eyes, his heart, upon his Father. His power lay in his continuous look at God, and John 5, 19-21 talks about that. So in full accord with the few texts we have quoted is the whole tenor of the inspired word, and to be inspired is to be in spirit it is summed up for us in the hebrew epistle when we are instructed to run life's race so looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith from all this we learn that faith is not a once done act but a continuous gaze of the heart at the triune god the triune god father son and the holy spirit believing then is directing the heart's attention to jesus it is lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. At first, this may be difficult, but it becomes easier as we look steadily at his wondrous person. Quietly and without strain, distractions may hinder, but once the heart is committed to him, after each brief excursion away from him, the attention will return again and rest upon him like a wandering bird coming back to its window. I'd emphasize this one committal. This one great volitional act which establishes the heart intention to gaze forever upon Jesus God takes this intention for our choice and makes what allowances he must for thousands of distractions which beset us in this evil world we are in this world but we are not of this world and we will go through things but knowing that he is the author and the finisher of our faith that if we would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ we would be saved be saved from what the troubles and the trials of this life he's faithful he's true his word, and he does come through for us, so he knows that we have set the direction of our hearts towards Jesus, and we can know it, too, and comfort ourselves with the knowledge that a habit of soul is forming, which will become, after a while, a sort of spiritual reflex requiring no more conscious effort on our part. Faith is the least self-regarding of the virtues. It is, by its very nature, scarcely conscious. Of its own existence, like the eye which sees everything in front of it and never sees itself. Faith is occupied with the object upon which it rests and pays no attention to itself at all. Now, faith is occupied with the object upon which it rests and pays no attention to itself at all. So while we are looking at God, we do not see ourselves. Blessed riddance. The man who has struggled to purify himself and has nothing but repeated failures will experience real relief when he starts tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one. While he looks at Christ, the very things he so long has been trying to do will be getting done within him. It will be God working in him to will and to do. Faith is not in itself a meritorious act. The merit is in the one toward whom it is directed. Faith is a redirecting of our sight, a getting out of the focus of our own vision and getting God into focus. Because sin has twisted our vision inward and made it self-regarding. unbelief has put itself where God should be, and it is perilously close to the sin of Lucifer who said, I will set my throne above the throne of God. Faith looks out instead of in, and the whole life falls into line. I'm going to repeat that. Faith looks out instead of in, and the whole life falls into line. All this may seem too simple, but we have no apology to make. To those who would seek to climb into heaven after help or descend into hell, God says the word is nigh thee. Even the word of faith, the word induces up to lift up our eyes unto the Lord and the blessed work of faith begins. When we lift our inward eyes to gaze upon God, we are sure to meet friendly eyes gazing back at us. For it is written that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all the earth. The sweet language of experience is thou, God, seest me. The sweet language of experience is knowing that God sees you. When the eyes of the soul look out to meet the eyes of God, you look at each other and God is looking in, and heaven has begun right here on this earth. So it is the gaze of the soul looking on to the object of his faith, which is God. So when all my endeavor is turned toward thee, because all thy endeavor is turned toward me, so while you're looking at him, he's looking at you because his eyes are running to and fro. Throughout all the earth, looking for someone to show himself strong on their behalf. So when I look unto thee alone with all my attention, nor ever turn aside the eyes of my mind, because thou dost enfold me with thy constant regard. When I direct my love toward thee alone, because thou who art love's self has turned thee toward me alone. And what Lord is my life? Save that embrace wherein thy delight some sweetness doth so lovingly enfold me. Tolzer said. So I so wrote to Nicholas of Cusa four hundred years ago. I should say more about this old man of God. He is not much known today anywhere among Christian believers. And among current fundamentalists, he is not known at all. I feel that we could gain much from a little acquaintance with men of his spiritual flavor and the school of Christian thought which they represent. Christian literature to be accepted and approved by the evangelical leaders of our times must follow very closely the same train of thought, a kind of party line from which it is scarcely safe to depart. A half century of this in America has made us smug and content, he said. So we imitate each other with slavish devotion, and our most strenuous efforts are put forth to try to say the same thing, that everyone around us is saying, and yet to find an excuse for saying it, some little safe variation on the approved theme, or if no more, at least a new illustration. Nicholas was a true follower of Christ, a lover of the Lord, radiant and shining in his devotion to the person of Jesus. His theology was orthodox, but fragrant and sweet, as everything about Jesus might properly be expected to be his conception of eternal life for instance is beautiful in itself and if i mistake not is nearer in spirit to john 17 and 3 than that which is current among us today so life eternal says nicholas is not other than the blessed regard wherewith thou never ceases to behold me yea even the secret places of my soul with thee to behold is to give life Tis unceasingly to impart sweetest love of thee, tis to inflame me to love of thee by love imparting, and to feed me by inflaming, and by feeding to kindle my yearning, and by kindling to make me drink of the dew of gladness, and by drinking to infuse me in a fountain of life, and by infusing to make it increase and endure. Simply put, he is saying the more you look at God while he is looking at you, your desire to look at him increases. Your thirst for him increases and the more you drink of him the thirstier you become the more inflamed you become with his passion and his desire the more it increases so the more you drink of him the more you want of him the more you see of him the more you want to see him and the more you want him to see you so it is an ever-increasing faith so we go from face to face and glory to glory So if faith is the gaze of the heart of God, and if this gaze is but the raising of the inward eyes, your heart, to meet the all-seeing eyes of God, then it follows that it is one of the easiest things possible to do. It would be like God to make the most vital thing easy and place it within the range of possibility for the weakest and poorest of us all. So today, as we have two minutes remaining in the broadcast, I want to say to you, look unto the author and the finisher of your faith. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you are enduring, remember that Jesus is looking at you. He is looking at you and waiting to show himself strong on your behalf. He's able, he's willing, and he's ready to come through for you. So I pray that whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with today, those of you who are listening to the broadcast, those of you who will be tuning in later, those of you who will um, later on make some comments or whatever on the on the posting, I want you to know that God loves you, we love you, and we're so glad that you were able to join us today. So above all else, just know this: that there is nothing too hard for God, and everything that you are dealing with. Put your eyes on the object of your faith, and the object of your faith is God. And you take your heart, you believe it in your heart. If you can believe it, you can receive it. So ask him, what is it that you need today? Ask him for what you need today. Ask him for divine favor. Ask him for divine provision. Ask him for divine health, for divine provision, divine protection, divine shelter, Whatever it is that you need, ask him believing, not with the external eyes, but with the internal eyes that say that I am looking to the author and the finisher of my faith. So faithfully is he who has begun the work in you, who is able to complete it until his return. God bless you. Love you. Thank you for joining us again. I'm Patricia Adams-Live. Until next time, remember, Go by www.OneHeartSeries.com and pick up your copy of Intimacy with God and set free to praise him. is available on that site as well. So we look forward to seeing you again, and we're going to close out right now with Secret Place.
1: Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robin Financial LLC member SIPC.